Good morning, and welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. Uh, we gather here in the presence of Almighty God to come and respond to God's goodness and to His grace with worship. And so I want to welcome you, especially if you're visiting today, we're glad that you are here. And also uh, welcome those who are joining us online. Glad that we can be together by God's Spirit to respond and worship. Uh, take a moment to uh, go over some announcements if you'll, um, in the order of worship. And the inside cover, you'll see some information about children's classes and uh, some notes about our service. And uh, we're asking at this time everyone to wear a mask while they're in the church building. So uh, please go ahead and do that. And also, we're not having our, our normal time of offering, but if you'd like to give to the work of the church, there is a silver offering plate in the back that you can drop off your gift there or you can give online as well. Uh, Brian's going to share an announcement about uh, small groups and things happening in the fall. Uh, so here's Brian. Yeah, we're, uh, we're be, we'll be starting up our small groups uh, here in the fall um, in, in a few weeks, really. Um, so if you're interested in, in joining or rejoining a group, please reach out to me. Um, I can give you some information. Also, as Chad said, there are other options as well available, discipleship groups or uh, Bible studies, things, things of that nature. So if a, a small group isn't going to work out, but you'd like to be part of the life of the church and pursue something that, that uh, is both a place to grow in our faith, but also be connected to other people. Um, like I said, reach out to me or Pastor Chad if you have any questions. Thanks, Brian. A couple other quick uh, notes to mention is that there's some events coming up this week that I want to make sure you know about. On Tuesday the 10th is um, an all-church cookout at the Greco's Backyard. So hope that you can come to this outside event and enjoy some food together. It's a great chance also to invite uh, friends and neighbors to come and connect with the church community. So that is on the 10th of August at 6 o'clock, and you'll see the information here in your order. They live on Ainsley. Uh, if you want, are able to bring a dessert or a side, that'd be great, uh, but it's not required. Please just come and enjoy that time together. Also, this Wednesday is our final uh, summer discussion uh, group meeting. Uh, Grace, in the midst of now, we're meeting at 7.30 on Wednesday at the community space, and it will be a time to kind of reflect on some of the things we've discussed about the means of grace and about how God uses the word and sacraments and prayer to help us grow in faith. So that's Wednesday. So take a look at the, the things happening, and hopefully you can join us this week or in the weeks ahead. Well, God calls us to come and worship. Let's take a moment of quiet. Oh, before I do that, sorry. <laughs> Any kids that are going down to... Uh, the uh, children's worship class or the preschool class can be dismissed at this time. They can make their way to the back door there. And yeah, Elizabeth is there to help uh, direct them downstairs to their class. And those classes will continue uh, throughout the service and finish the same time as the service does. Let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves to come before God. Good morning. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 98. I ask you to stand with us. Although we're wearing masks, um, you're still welcome to sing if you're in person. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Sing to the Lord a new song, for He 
right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in the joyous song and sing praises. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the word with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Darkness fills his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. of his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. 
you may be seated. Please join me in prayer. Almighty God, we know that we all like sheep have gone astray, turned to our own way. But you and your grace and mercy, you laid our iniquity on your son, Jesus. Father, we rejoice in his full and final work of atonement. We're humbled that though he is innocent and guiltless, he, he took the punishment for our sin and died the death of a criminal. We celebrate, we, we relish the reality that you, God, you made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that, that we might be, be your sons and daughters. Father, meet us by your spirit in, in the places that we are this morning. Meet some of us under the boot of hard and long work hours. Some of us in, in the beautiful, the exhausting care of guiding our children. Some of us in the, the uncertainty of trying to, to figure out what our next move is. Meet us in these places, we pray, with your wonderful surprise and grace, which we know is free and full of rest and life. Do this by your spirit, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we do turn now to our time of confession and assurance, a time to acknowledge with God our sin and our need. And we'll do this together as a church family and then have a time of personal, quiet confession. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Loving Father, forgive us when we forget what is true to follow desires that seduce us, when we corrupt what is pure to follow images that attract us, when we ignore what is just and merciful to follow ambition that is selfish. Lord, have mercy on us. Now what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Now what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Now what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this way of sin.
take a moment of quiet confession. Father, we come to you in sin and weakness, confess it's hard to be honest about our neediness. Like Adam and Eve, we, we want to cover up our guilt and our shame. But God, we know that, that you see us in, in your kindness through your Son. You lead us out of death and into life. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, having confessed our sin, let's stand together and hear the words of assurance that come to us from Psalm 31. Please join me. How abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you. You may be seated. The Old Testament lesson is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 7 through 11. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman, and she who is in labor, together a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water, in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. The gospel lesson is from John chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Ozzy, for reading the scripture. And it's good to be here worshiping with you. And we're going to continue our, our sermon series where we look at the benefits of our redemption in Christ. We've looked at how Christ gives us new birth and justifies us before God. And today we're going to look at the gift of adoption. Adoption. Theologian J.I. Packer, when writing about adoption, says, Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers higher even than justification. He goes on to say, to be declared right with God, the holy judge, is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God as Father is greater. Adoption is this great gift, and it is one of the key themes of the letter to the church in Galatia. And so we're going to look at a passage from Galatians, and we can ask them for a moment why, why this is a key theme in the letter. And the Galatian Christians had responded to the wonder of the grace of Christ, and they had embraced this free gospel, but now at least some of them had become convinced that their acceptance and their approval before God was now based upon their activity, based upon them fulfilling certain religious duties or requirements. We might even imagine them saying, sure, God offers us grace in the beginning, but now it must be that, you know, our place, our journey is about keeping our place, God's approval. It must be based on how well we're doing spiritually. Well, Paul is deeply troubled by this way of thinking, and so he invites them and us to remember this gift of adoption in Christ, and he does so by telling them about the law of God. So let's look at our passage from Galatians 3. You can follow in your order of worship or just listen as I read. This is Galatians 3, verse 21 through 29. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. 
For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is God's word. It's given for our good. As we look through this passage, we're going to look at two questions. The sermon will have two parts, two questions that Paul asks about the law. The first question is, what can the law of God not do? And what can the law do? So let's start there. Let's start with, what can the law of God not do? What can it not accomplish? And we read just a moment ago that the law, God's commandments, cannot impart life. If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness or our acceptance before God would be through keeping the commandments. But rule-keeping cannot do this. In Romans, Paul says something similar. He says, no human being will be justified or declared righteous and accepted through their works or keeping the law. There's a section on Western Avenue around the corner from where I live that I don't know exactly why, but occasionally the streetlights don't turn on. There's a kind of a short block that compared to the rest of the area around it is pretty dark. As you walk through it, it can feel unsettling. I'm sure it's not that dark compared to other places, but in the city it seems unusual. You notice that it's hard to see or feels unsettled. You don't need necessarily Western Avenue to feel that. Maybe you can feel that even in a home or a room that you're not used to. The difference between walking into a space and trying not to step on things or hit furniture versus turning on the light. We all know that experience. Well, a light is similar to what the law is. The law is like this great street light, great flashlight, great light in your room that is turning on. And that law, what it does is it tells us our purpose. It even tells us what is good. It guides us. Love the Lord your God with all of who you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can think of others, right? The law tells us, have no other gods but the true God. Set apart a day for rest and worship. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not kill. These things are good and true. But what Paul is saying to us, but just because someone tells us something that is true or something that is good does not mean that we have the power to fulfill it. It does not even mean that we have the desire to hear it or follow it. The law cannot impart life. The law can tell us what is good and true, but it cannot impart right life. Rather, what the law does, as we read here, is it tells us the knowledge, gives us knowledge of our sin. That's what is meant here when Paul writes that Scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Scripture imprisoned everything. What does that mean? Maybe we can picture a young child happily playing when a sibling or cousin or a playmate is introduced. Now the child is instructed to share his or her toys and this call to love another, this call to share, does not create the struggle to do so. It doesn't create it, but it reveals it. 
Or maybe we can think of something in our own adult life, uh, maybe a roommate or a neighbor. They don't create our impatience, maybe our controlling nature. They don't create our tendency to gossip or judge, but they reveal such things. One before gave an illustration saying that imagine a bridge that looks fine, but it has cracks within it. And that bridge looks fine until a heavy truck drives over and those cracks are revealed. Not causing them, but revealing them for others to see. God's Word does not create our sin. Rather, it shines a light. It reveals our hearts. It reveals our transgressions. It leaves us, what the Scripture says, is imprisoned aware of our shortcomings, aware of our transgressions, our failure to keep the law, but without power to unlock ourselves, without power to move forward. What can the law not do? The law cannot make us righteous. Rather, it makes it obvious that we are unable to love God with our full being and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And therefore, the law and what it cannot do reveals the futility, the futility of placing our acceptance or our righteousness in what we can accomplish or in our goodness. So we've asked what the law cannot do. The, the second question is what can it do? If the law can't give life, then what can it do? Well, our passage tells us that the law guides us to Christ. And Paul offers us an image of a tutor, of a nanny, or even something more than a babysitter, but this idea of one who guides. The law is like the Greek tutors who escorted children to school and protected them from danger or distraction, making sure that they got to the place that they had set out for. You hear that? The the law is like this Greek tutor whose job was to protect or guide the, the children, making sure they arrived at the location that they were supposed to arrive at. In the same way, the law surrounds us, protects us, guides us to the destination that God has for us. And what is that destination? Finding full acceptance before God through faith, by belief. Full acceptance by God through faith in Christ. See, the law, by revealing our guilt and need, always points beyond itself. As our guardian, the law, whenever we hear it, we hear its demands, and we see our shortcoming. It makes clear that we need more than our strength, our goodness, or our performance that something different is needed. It's part of why we confess each Sunday is to have this reminder that we don't bring our records here for God to see, but rather we are pointed beyond ourselves to something else. That's what the law does. Recently, I saw an article by a historian named Joe Lepore titled, Burnout, Modern Affliction, or human condition. Burnout. Modern affliction or human condition. It's a fascinating article in, in which she quotes a philosopher. And 
It says, every age has its signature affliction. We are an achievement society. We live in a world that requ requires people to strive and strive to the point of even self-destruction. Our age reflects a humanity waging war on itself. I imagine that maybe many of us, if not all of us, can relate to some feeling of burnout or this affliction of being overwhelmed and tired. And I cite this article not because, I, I want to be clear, not that if you have your theology right that you'll never experience burnout, or if you have burnout, it means that you don't have things quite figured out. That's not what I'm saying. Rather, I found it interesting to read because it was helpful to me, but also in, at one point she talks about American Christianity. And she says that American Christianity is not a religion of rest, but a religion of achievement. This is a non-Christian writing about her observation. American Christianity is a religion of achievement. I don't know how that resonates with you. Where we might ask, how can I prosper? How can I get ahead through my faith? Or what can I do for God? As we hear that, I want us to see that this is not the picture that Paul gives in our passage. The goal, the whole leading of the law, builds to a climax where we were supposed to go all along is that you are a child of God. That you are a child of God through faith in Christ. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You see, the fulfillment, the destination of the Christian life, the working of the gospel, isn't the accomplishing of a certain list of things. It isn't keeping rules. The beauty of the gospel is not moving us from prisoner to doer or prisoner to rule keeper. The wonderful receiving of a gift, the movement of the gospel is to let us know the loving adoption by God. That we are His children fully accepted in His love. That we have a new status, a new identity child of God. Sinclair Ferguson writes, the notion that we are children of God, God's own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of the Christian life. Our adoption, our living as a son or a daughter, is the apex of creation, he writes. It is the goal of redemption. You and I learning to rest and enjoy the acceptance and love of God as our Father. Rest, receiving this good gift, acceptance and approval is not by the law or by our doing. You see, this title of child of God is not a general status. It's true that all human beings are made in the image of God and that all belong to God, but sonship or adoption of the gospel is a status. It's an act of grace that comes through faith in Christ. And it speaks adoption of a completed action we belong to God's family now and forever. And at every point along the way, it is because of God's gracious action towards you and Christ. Let us this day receive that gift and rest. Rest in it. 
It's in light of this truth that Paul goes on to say, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, no male or female, you are all one in Christ. You see, the benefit of adoption has significant ramifications for the church and how we see one another. There's a lot we could say, but as a way just to close, in Christ's family, there is no hierarchy. There are no separate tables, one for those who are more accepted than those who are not. There is no division such as Jew or non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. For all are equal, all are children of God. United to one another and united to Christ. You see, Paul is aware that he's still a Jewish Christian, but he knows that this is not the basis of his standing. It, It never was and it never will be. He's aware that some are free and some are slaves within the church. He's aware that there are males and females, but the point is not, is the point that these are not determining factors of one's acceptance or do not slot one into a certain standing in the community. Value judgments or hierarchy regarding cultural or socioeconomics or gender have no place in the church. There is radical equality in the grace of God. For all of us, all of us are imprisoned by the law before God. And all in Christ are fully adopted as sons and daughters by grace in Christ alone. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and we do pray, Lord, that you'd meet us in our weariness, meet us in our racing or after achievements, that we would find again rest in you. And in doing so, we would learn in a new way to see not just ourselves, but see one another, to be able to welcome and to connect as family by your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We invite you to stand and sing with us. Jesus, cast a look on me. Give me sweet simplicity. Make me poor and keep me low, seeking only Thee to know. All that beats my busy pride, cast it evermore aside. Bid my will to Thine submit.
That's okay, sorry. We give you thanks, O oh God, who abundantly pours out your grace toward us. You heal the sick, mend the broken, give sight to the blind, comfort the hurting, and promise to raise the dead to life. Give us faith to trust that you sh will sh your will shall be done as we join the people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. During this time, instead of coming forward, we're participating in communion through uh, these prepackaged um, elements. If you are going to participate in the Lord's table today, and uh, do you, if anyone doesn't have one, please raise your hand and a greeter can bring you one. Anyone need one? Well, if you're going to participate in communion, then I might you go ahead and, and open these and prepare for that. If you're not participating in the table today, we're glad that you're here and invite you to, to let this bread and cup be signs to you of who God is and his kingdom and how he welcomes his people. This table is the family table of God and Christ. Our passage invites us to think of who we are in Christ as a son or a daughter, fully accepted and, and fully loved by God. And this table is a picture of coming and being part of that, of that family. Of the, of the astounding truth that there's nothing that you can do or fail to do that will make God love you more or to make God love you less. There's nothing that you can do that will make God love you more or nothing that you will do that will make Him love you less. That's the astounding nature of the adoption in Christ that we have. And the basis of that status, the whole root of it from day one through your whole life of faith is the broken body and shed blood of Christ. For he took upon himself our sin and death, took upon himself our isolation and separation that we might be welcomed as God's children. If you know of your need before God, and if you turned away from seeking after your own ways or following the law to earn God's righteousness, if you know your need and placed your faith in Christ, then this table is for you. That we may come and eat and drink and be reminded of who God is and his spirit minister to us this day. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this table that reminds us that we're not just by ourselves, but that we are those who have adopted in Christ part of a family of brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Lord, as we come as broken people, as tired people, as sinful people, Lord, we thank you for the promise that your grace is sufficient and that your work in Christ is sufficient. 
that our place now and forever is based in what you have accomplished for us. So we give you thanks. Let us have thankful hearts and let our heads be lifted, not by what we've done, but by your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new, co- new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. And Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Lord, we thank you for this table. And we pray that your spirit would strengthen us that we would know the rest of Christ and that we'd go forth as those who see one another in new ways by your power, loving our neighbors and welcoming and embracing our brothers and sisters. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand that we can respond to the table and receive God's blessing. Lord Jesus Christ, you have promised to make all things new. By your spirit, remind us that you have already paid our debt before God and help us to look forward to the future with hope as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. God's blessing. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, may the love of God surround you now and always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May go in peace. One, two, one, two, three.